Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Thomas Freemy TV and podcast show. This is Thomas Freemy coming to you with a, a great, great discussion today. Before we get into that, I want to say thank you to all my listeners, all my subscribers through all these years who have kept me on your platforms no matter what I was going through. I know sometimes getting episodes out is very hard for me. Again, I, I am a, just a one-man staff. I'm running a nonprofit. I just got a lot on my plate, but my love is always here. And thank you, all you listeners and subscribers and believers of Thomas Freeme who have stuck through it with me. So I bring you another great discussion today. This gentleman's name is Frank Hand. You can find him on TikTok uh, through Veterans Liberty Network, VLN. You can reach out to him. His cash app is Hard Hitting Hand. Again, that's dollar sign Hard Hitting Hand. And you'll hear his story here shortly. And then I ask that, you know, if you can spare a couple dollars to send him through cash app, um, it would be much appreciated as he's in a very hard time and, and can use it. So our discussion today, we're going to be talking about Leonard Peltier. And what went on with the Indian Reservation back in 74, 75. We're going to talk about a little bit about CPS and a few other things, you know, and, and specifically the issue that Mr. Frank is, is having currently. So with that, I leave you guys. Thank you guys again for tuning in. And I want to give a big shout out and a big love to Germany, Canada. United Kingdom, Australia, Singapore, Norway. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, listening in. Um, it's, it's a great honor of mine for you guys to be the top countries on the listening list. So continue to get that name out there, Thomas Freeme. Tell people to Google Thomas Freeme to pull up on my platform because my message is for all of us, all human beings. We all have to be better people. So so without waiting any longer, let me get you guys into the discussion. I hope that you guys enjoy. Please make sure to hit the like button. Make sure to hit the follow button. Share the platform. I love you guys. Be your best self. Oh, and this discussion was started midway. I just hit record. Didn't miss much, maybe like the first five minutes or so, but um, I knew this was something I had to hit record on. So guys, enjoy the discussion. Stay safe. Now, you know, yeah, you know, Angie, Angela, Miss Angela, she um she told me about you probably a good year and a half ago. And and she's like, man, I gotta get you connected. I gotta get you connected. You guys will hit it off. You guys will hit it off. And, you know, of course, doing what we do and, and being what we're into in, in our lives and all that, man, it's just but we connected and we uh, you know, we were sharing videos and and such, but this is our, our first conversation. So um, go ahead and, and give my listeners, uh, you know, a rundown on who you are and, and essentially what you've been through, what you got going on, and and uh, we'll go from there. All right. I mean, uh, that's pretty much a loaded question right there and a uh, lot <laughs> to unpack in, in all this, too. I mean, let's see. My name is Frank. I'm, I'm up here in New York. I'm sure some of you southern folk down florida well you'd be full back so you hear that accent coming out of me from new york but uh 
Yeah, I've been uh, continually been homeless for many years now, uh, in and out of jail because of uh, child support and uh, false allegations through the family court system. However, you know, I, I have changed a few ways of looking at things. Meeting with, speaking of meeting with Angela, um, that's how I got to meet Thomas here. I sent him over some footage from from a trip that I did, and it was really interesting by how I learned about the, this trip. And it came from a, a gentleman, a native, named Leonard Peltier. And uh, Leonard Peltier was out in the Dakota area. He was a protector of women and children. Uh, he never worked for money, but he was always working to try to make a better community and society for, for his people. Uh, but his people was not just limited to his native community. He tried to unite people from other communities to come together, to stop the harm, to stop abuse, and, and to try to live in a, in a harmonious way uh, where everybody could prosper instead of living in a world of cancer. And uh, the sad part about Leonard, uh, he's been in prison since 1976, I believe it is. Um, and, and we tried uh, putting in compassionate releases for him. And the backstory with Leonard is apparently there was some cowboy boots that may have been taken at a bar the night before um, two FBI agents showed up on the reservation. And uh, from how I understand the situation, the purpose of the FBI agent showing up on the reservation was to find out about a pair of cowboy boots. Sounds very strange. And the uh, alleged individual that supposedly stole these cowboy boots was in California and not not in the Dakota land, not in the Dakotas. However, within 15 minutes, there was over 150 FBI agents on site, and a, uh, a shootout uh, began. Um, the natives were, were standing their ground. It's unclear really as to why so many FBI agents were there, uh, that, that, to my knowledge, has not been disclosed. But if I had to make an assumption, um, it would be because Leonard spoke up and he spoke proud and he tried to fix a society and a system that was not conducive to health and growth, fairness, and just principles. Uh, as it turns out, there was one native that was shot and killed and two FBI agents were shot and killed. Uh, many of the stories that you hear from Wounded Nate, they, they don't speak about the native being killed. They only speak about the, the two FBI agents. Well, Leonard was arrested, and he went to trial with, with two other co-defendants. The other two co-defendants were acquitted. However, the community was held in... Um, in a suburb that was not a jury of Leonard's peers. Uh, there were tactics that were used to scare the community, 
about these wild and dangerous Indians that are going to come here and riot and steal and rape if we don't get this done, one, two, three. And uh, many material facts of the case were not acknowledged. Uh, it appeared to be, from what how I understand the story, a, a hit job on Leonard. Um, and he was sentenced and convicted and sent away to maximum fed facilities across the nation. Now, currently he's down in Florida. You know, I pulled this, this article up from freelander.org and it just has quick facts and, you know, it, it gives a lot of what you were just talking about. So for the listener, Leonard Peltier is an imprisoned Native American considered by Amnesty International, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the National Congress of American Indians, the Robert F. Kennedy Memorial Center for Human Rights, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and Reverend Jesse Jackson, among many others, to be a political prisoner who should be immediately released. Leonard Peltier was convicted for the deaths of two FBI agents who died during a 1975 shootout on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Mr. Peltier has been in prison for over 29 years. The Wounded Knee occupation in 1973 marked the beginning of a three-year period of political violence on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. The tribal chairman hired vigilantes, self-titled as quote-unquote goons, to rid the reservation of American Indian movement, uh, parentheses AIM, activity and sentiment. More than 60 traditional tribal members and AIM members were murdered and scores more were assaulted. Evidence indicated that quote-unquote goon responsibility in the majority of the crimes, despite a large FBI presence, nothing was done to stop the violence. Quote, listen to this, people. Despite a large FBI presence, nothing was done to stop the violence. We see that today in 2023. The FBI supplied the goons with intelligence on AIM members and looked away as goons committed crimes. One former goon member reported that the FBI supplied him with armor-piercing ammunition. It's our government, man. On June 26, 1975, two FBI agents in unmarked cars followed a pickup truck onto the Jumping Bull Ranch. The families immediately became alarmed and feared an attack Shots were heard and, sh and shout erupted. More than 150 agents, goons, and law enforcement surrounded the ranch. When the shootout ended, two FBI agents and one Native American lay dead. The agents were injured in the shootout and were then shot at close range. The Native American, Joseph Stunts, was shot in the head by a sniper bullet. Mr. Stunt's death has never been investigated, nor has anyone ever been charged in connection with his death. According to FBI documents, more than 40 Native Americans participated in the gunfight, but only AIM members Bob Robido and Daryl Butler and Leonard Peltier were brought to trial. If you want to read the rest, you can go again, go to freeleonard.org. This is again something, um, you know, my father, he's a big advocate for these these travesties 
you know, and this is right around the time I'm being born. So I'm sure he's he was well aware of, of this incident. But, you know, in a lot of my lives, we talk about this police brutality amongst African-Americans. We talk about it amongst poor communities. And my father's always, you know, how come nobody never talks about what happened with the Indians? How come nobody never talks about the Indians? You know, my father's 85 years old. He's like, it's bullshit. What, what happened to them? How come nobody never talks about them? <clears throat> what, what resonated with me and, and what I've seen through my perspective here is that it started with the natives and then it went into the black community. Then it went into the poor white community. Then it worked its way up the chain. And where I think it's going to go, I think it's going to go into the Spanish community next. And I think that's why there's such a, a gung-ho to, to try to get citizenship. That way they can obtain jurisdiction over the Spanish. And I know specifically in New York, uh, an attorney can now become uh, well, uh, a a non-United States citizen can become an attorney in the state of New York. I just read out in California that the police, uh, uh, one of the police departments out there is hiring uh, non-U.S. citizens. Now, I'm well aware that America's a melting pot made up of a diverse uh, world of individuals. Um, I actually had a catering business way back when. It was called Chameleon, that little lizard that changes color. And I would feed the mind and I would feed the soul of history and festivals of different cultures' food. So because I thought it was honorable and educational to teach people about where other people come from. But I, I wound up losing that because of uh, the divorce and, and whatnot in addition. But it's, it's truly sad what's going on right now. And there are so many failures of duties and a lack of accountability where people just don't have the balls to, to stand up or to speak about injustices in, in a productive way. I gotten away from saying that Americans don't have the balls because I know that's offensive to a lot of people. It's understanding as well, right? Like, it's not so much as the balls, because I think every individual has a line in their life. For most, you know, some people, we see that in animals, will just lay down and, and die, you know. But I, I want to say that Americans are just so brainwashed that they don't even realize it. I don't really think it has anything to do with courage. It's just... In a sense, yeah, because people are scared of change. And, and when we're talking about a, a 40 or a 50, or when I have this talk with my parents who, who are in their mid-80s, you know, it's very scary that your whole life could possibly have been a dupe. Who would want to admit that? You know, so I, 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 I want to get away from... Me personally, and this has nothing to do with what you said or anything. This is just for the listener and, and for those that are out there. But I personally want to try to get away from bringing Americans down in any sense anymore. Any American. 
I'm trying to lift up every American citizen and get them to understand what this system is. Because all of these things, like we talk about with the Native Americans, what we talk about with mass incarceration, we're talking about what's going on. How else can you label it other than slavery? How else can you label it other than slavery? But see, we don't like to be called slaves and we would never allow ourselves to look at ourselves as slaves. And these people know that. So they had to create a way to where we don't think about ourselves that way. And how do you do that? You give us the power of choice. As long as I have the power of choice, I feel like I can choose where I want to go, what I want to watch, what I want to do. I feel like I'm free. But what we quickly realize and come to find out is that as soon as you don't comply, you're not free. You, you start to find the outer realms of where your freedom starts to end at, right? And the more you start not complying with what you don't believe in, the more you start to understand that you're not really free. You're just being directed. You're being directed into a thought process. And what that thought process is, compliancy. If you don't comply, you die. And that, and that upsets people, right? When I say that, if you don't comply, you die. It really upsets people. But when we break it down into a literal sense, we see all the, we see everything that happened with vaccines. We see the, 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 what happens with our police brutality, right? We see these things and then we, we justify in our minds right because we have been indoctrinated to believe and trust wholeheartedly without question white coats blue uniforms green uniforms black robes things of this nature we've been indoctrinated to to believe these people holistically so now when these people are saying things that are radical we now start to become ostracized within that because the compliant mind automatically complies and then they justify in their mind why they're complying so they can't a compliant man mind cannot understand why when a cop comes and tells you or asks you or, or says hey let me see your id and you tell them i don't have to give you my id why are you asking for my id a compliant mind questions that a compliant mind said, well, why, why don't you just give him your ID? You're not doing anything wrong. But that's a violation of our rights. But it also goes a little deeper than that, too, though. Because not all, but some, get manufactured. Whether, whether or not something is planted or miscommunicated or misstated, sometimes these situations escalate. Uh, downhill very quickly and w without an indisputed doubt there's so many individuals that have been jammed up incarcerated churned through a, a judicial system that does not provide justice is not proper it's all about turn and burn like going through a McDonald's drive through and that's where there is a, a, a true incentive for the prosecution to, to put out pleas. Mm. 
that justice is suppressed. There's no ability to appeal by right. And if somebody may be coerced or scared into looking at 25, 50, 70 years, they, they might turn around and, and take a four-year plea deal, even though they didn't do it, because they see that their, their attorney, whether or not it's an 18B public defender or retains, really has no care or concern about, their, about them. Or the prosecutor. And, and, and the reason why I say this, Frank, is, is very important because there is a woman in Indiana who's going through this right now. I just put a TikTok out about this, but I really didn't elaborate. And I'm so glad that you brought this up to allow me to elaborate on this because what you say, listener, rewind if you have to. Listen to what he said again and then key in to what I'm about to share with you. So there is a woman in Indiana. I've had her on my show a couple years ago. The title of the show is uh, Little Girl Lost. For anybody on my podcast, you can go back, check the title that this is the story. She shares her whole story. Right now, what happened, Frank, is this. This is a woman who cannot be mad. She loves everything. She smiles at everything. She is just a woman who is... She, she, you know, in, in her own naivety, God bless her heart, she is just a, a, a sweet, innocent little girl whose childhood is robbed from her by a pedophile grandfather, her whole childhood, right? And now she's, she's a grown woman, she's free, and She's just living her childhood out. God bless her heart, as she should. You know, every human should should be able to experience their childhood, whether you do it at a young age or an old age. You should be able to experience your childhood, which is that carefree, worry-free, full of love, naivety that people just love to take advantage of. So within all of this, she has a full-blown autistic child. And she had this with a very toxic individual. She ended up leaving this toxic individual who's very abusive to her. But yes, she still wanted to co-parent. She still wanted the father in her son's life. Even though that, you know, her son is full-blown autistic. I, I'm, I'm not educated at all in autism. Um, but she just wanted her, her, her father the, the son's father to be in his life. So even in the event of co-parenting, he would, he would punish her. He would abuse her. And I'm telling her, like, the only reason why he's even attempting to co-parent with you is because he knows that you're going to bring the boy over there, but he's going to punish you. He's going to abuse you. You know? Um, she didn't listen. Again, just seeing the best in everybody. And I didn't hear her from her for about a month. And then finally, I get a text from her one day. And the text is, I'm a stupid bitch. You were right. I automatically knew something happened. What ended up happening was she ended up taking her son over there one time. And he didn't let her leave. He tied her up. He abused her in, in every way that a woman could be abused for two days in front of their son, 
um, she got away. Luckily, she got away. And uh, I actually did a show about this as well, a recap with her on this, where she explains this as well. But she got away. Police were called. It was all in the newspaper. Drug this woman through the mud. Long story short, to get into your point, he's going to trial. Taking it to trial. He's facing rape. He's facing uh, hostage, you know, several charges. And the trial is supposed to start Monday. I've had to walk her through this for the past two weeks because of her anxiety. She, she had to go in for deposition. She had to be prepped for trial. All of these things. She had to go live, relive all of this experience. I get a call from her yesterday. She says, well, I have good news and I have bad news. I'm like, what's going on? I kind of already knew what was coming. She's like, well, the prosecutor just called me and said that I won't have to testify. It's over that he accepted the plea. So I'm like, what, what was the plea? Unlawful detainment. That's it. Five to eight years. Five to eight years. This woman is petrified, horrified, because her biggest fear is her pressing charges against him. The only reason why she did it, because she's like, I can get this guy out of my life forever now. That was her whole point. She trusted the prosecutor and the judicial system to do their due diligence and their job to make sure that an individual like this not only never hurts her again, nor another female. But like you said, that's not what the prosecutors, that's not what the state cares about. Even though they'll get up in front of the TV and talk about tough on crime. You have DeSantis down here in Florida talking about tough on crime. But when it's behind closed doors, they only care about the conviction. So I, I, I looked up the rights, let her know what her rights were. I told her you can absolutely. Um, we, we sent an email saying how horrid she felt. And this is a woman prosecutor. And she put in the email. I absolutely hope that this did not come from you. This was not your idea, and you would think that I would approve of such an ordeal. What happened to the rape? What happened to the sodomy? What happened to the beating? Does none of that matter? None of this even in front of my son? Does none of the child endangerment? Does none of that matter? You only, you only agreed to make a deal with a horrible person to get your conviction because you didn't want to go to trial. You just want to be done with it and move on to your next case. This is what she told her. And she told her, I hope for all the sake of all women who have been through this and will go through this in the future, that a woman prosecutor did not cut this type of deal. So that prosecutor hopefully gets that today. And, and I told her, you have the right before that plea is, is signed you have the right as the victim to go in front of that judge and tell that judge exactly how you feel, that this is a travesty of justice. And I, this is why I hate the plea deal. This is why I hate the plea deal, because plea deals are used as extortion, just like you say. They are extortion. The prosecutor knows they're extortion. They use the jail to do it. This is why the jails are the, the environment that they are, the abusive Thunderdome nature that all jails are is because they are used as tactical, tactical weapons to get people to plea out, to get them out of jail. 
They're used as tactical weapons to sentence reductions. Who's going to take 25 years when you know you're guilty and you can sign for four? But what, what's happening is exactly what we have. Mass incarceration because people are being out here getting arrested in clips every day, and they're just pleading out. Just pleading out. Pleading out, pleading out, getting right back out. I had, I had a lady I was talking to yesterday who has, I don't know, 25 sheet long rap list because she goes in and she gets out. She's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even fight it. I just take pleas. You know, I just plea out, whatever, pay a fine, plea out. Oh, it's a fine. I'll plea out, pay a fine. Like, all that's going to add up, man. You're going to do the wrong thing, and these people going to lock you up for life. Now, what's really interesting is, um, you know, we spoke about going back about 40 years to the mid-70s with Leonard. Now, if we go back about another, per se, 40 years, uh, that's when the Great Depression happens. So we're right around that area in 1928 to 1932, just after. And uh, I read some of the native treaties. And the native treaties, uh, uh, they, they were presented to me when I was on this trip. And the language in, in these, because we're going to go back to that, what, what a word is and, and whether or not using that word accurately or, or, or even by definition is, is proper uh, because ultimately even, even though you know we are humans we we make a, a sound that resonates out of our belly it goes through our throat and larynx out our mouth and then that sound goes into somebody's ear and then they interpret that based on possibly not a Webster's dictionary or possibly not a Black's Law dictionary, but possibly just on what they interpreted that definition of a word to mean. What I said is pretty deep, but when it goes into speaking to somebody that does not speak the same language as you to try to communicate, but then have that individual sign a contract, it's kind of sketchy. So going into these treaties, it was FDR and with the Great New Deal, and this is where the word Indian came from. And in order to obtain services and benefits from the government, natives would have to sign their name or, or make a mark, uh, acknowledging who, who they are under their, under their white person name, uh, to say that they want to receive social services, and the government's going to take care of them. However, in return, they would have to be labeled as an Indian. And by labeling them as an Indian, now legislation could get passed uh, to this group of individuals known as Indians, where there would be money flow um, or, or whatnot. And, and it gets a little more complicated because nepotism seeped in, into this through the Bureau of Indian Affairs, which was a which is a federal uh, agency and program. And the money never truly trickled down to the ones that needed it. It remained on the top levels. I was invited to go out to the Dakotas and, and stay where, where the warriors stayed in Bruley and Crow Creek. And, and I got to see the mounds where 
Uh, women and children were buried after being shot in the back of the head. Uh, I, I saw the abject poverty out there where there was one gas station, one dollar general, and a small casino. That was that was it for, for jobs, per se. Uh, so what was left? Yeah, there, there was a lot of alcoholism and there was a lot of drugs, a lot of people in despair uh, with, with very little hope. And, and, and it was truly sad. But then I got to see, too, where the individuals uh, from the BIA lived. And I saw the quads, the off-road vehicles in front of their nice houses. And it was explained to me in so many different ways about how there, there is a tremendous amount of money going out, but the corruption and the nepotism fails to allow the money to trickle down to the ones that really need. And then the services that, that are put out there, they're, they're designed uh, not for recidivism, but they're designed to just temporarily uh, temporarily smooth over somebody's situation, not necessarily make their life better or, or assist them with, with what is truly needed, whether it, it, it's whatever kind of skill set in order to provide. But then at the same time, who's to, who's to say and come in and meddle in these people's lives and say, we know what's best for you, you're going to do it our way. And that some of that is done through trickery and, mm -hmm. and the use of words and language. And others, people, some people are naive and they're not aware as to the macro environment of the social experiment that's taking place. And I still believe deep down that is because of the divided nuclear family uh, where it's been financially incentivized and weaponized to destroy that so that people become dependent upon not themselves, not their loved ones, not their families, but a, a form of a, a tyrannical government that they're used as a human resource, as a cog in the wheel to perform services while the upper echelon of individuals living a quality of life where they don't have to necessarily contribute to society on a daily basis because they know what's best for the other people. But when you actually analyze these people, these families, the ones that supposedly know what's best for everybody else, well, their shit does stink the same way ours does. They still have human problems. They don't necessarily get along with everybody. So who's to say that they know best? And who's to say when, when they're imposing their will and their policies on people? When some people just want to be left alone and figure it out themselves and, and live their life the way that they want. I could say the same for, I guess, when I went to Switzerland back in in August, you know. Uh, 
it was it was um a very grounding moment for me you know something i needed when it got me under this this propaganda veil it got me from up under this propaganda veil and and put me around a different breed and class of human being you know who uh, these human beings are are take one honesty very serious over there you know these these are serious human beings over there who who are very serious about their families and and they're happy and and maybe i, I don't know but yeah i had a i had a, a very grounding moment over there but i want to switch up we got a little bit of time left i want to switch up and get into cps now because i know that's your thing i get reached out to a lot of people about help from CPS. I have no experience in CPS and I want to help these people. Maybe by the end of this, because I'm, I'm, I'm surprised to hear you say that, that uh, you went back to school for your paralegal as well. Maybe we can establish something where people can start reaching out to you and you can create some sort of help for these people that are dealing with what you're going to explain now with the CPS. All right. Actually, I just learned this yesterday from, from a, a guy I used to work with and a father, and not that that means anything, but a parent going through this, he actually spoke with the New York State Police the other day. The New York State Police, they have their own agency to deal with children. And it sounds a whole hell of a lot better than CPS. So I want to look into what the New York State Police has available. Because they actually stated that they won't contact CPS because they have their own. And what I'm aware of with CPS, um, allegations from an individual that may have at most 20 college credits has the power to separate families and destroy and ruin lives. CPS should be a last resort. In, met, in many cases, in contact, they, they truly traffic children for profit. They lose kids. I can back up everything that's coming out of my mouth. And, and, the, and some of the scary part, too, Maximus is part of this. Um, the Social Security Act, Title IV, Subsection E, specifically breaks down the financial benefits of of, tra of uh, trafficking children. Uh, I just recently read the Social Security Act 4, A, B, C has been repealed, and D. And I'm truly, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed. I really am. Because the purpose of a lot of this is to keep people dependent and poor and unable to stand on their own two feet. It's financially incentivized. I, I just saw a case that I knew I knew of uh, down in Tennessee, and this mom—they uh, were trying to take the child away from this mom, and uh, her attorney was involved as well, and, and given back to to uh, an abuser. Well, the mom and the attorney brought up on uh, brought up on charges, and, and one of them was custodial interference which is similar to like kidnapping, but it's it's a touch different. Uh, the, the trial court and the jury where evidence was suppressed convicted both of these individuals. 
However, the Court of Appeals just reversed the decision for the mom. And it, it was a it was a really good case. And I'm actually I'm I'm proud to say, like, I think they got it right this time. Mm. But CPS came in and interjected all these non-truths, non-factuals into the equation to paint and smear people. Um, in this case, as well as many other cases. And these are nasty people. Like, you know, listener, understand if, if you've never dealt with this or seen the demeanor on these people, like these are nasty, nasty people. They're, they're, they're very rude human beings. They're very pushy. They're very narcissistic, egoic. Um, they're in their in your face, and they could care less about anything that you have to say. They just come, they take your children, and and leave you uh, like like an aborted mother. You know, there was a case out of California. It was Hartwick versus Marik, and Hartwick versus Orange County. And, and this family, they actually won $20 million uh, because they were able to demonstrate how CPS lied indisputably to remove their children. As it turns out, these two CPS workers that were found guilty uh, of, of lying, false statements, false reports... They actually got promoted within CPS in, in California there. So that's that's very troubling to me, knowing that individuals that can manufacture evidence, file false reports, remove your children, put you through a world of torture and hell, then get rewarded. It, it, it's not okay. There needs to be a, a true uh, forensic audit of the money and funds that goes through these places because if one is rewarded by a bonus or a benefit to produce well they're going to manufacture stuff because all in all there's really not that many bad people in this world and sometimes when relationships break down there might be some bitterness or vindictiveness that may come through and I'm not discounting physical abuse, verbal abuse, or, or even substance abuse. I'm not discounting any of that. What I am saying is that the root cause needs to be thoroughly examined before allegations are made or financial benefits are put in place. Because even if with substance abuse... And yes, I'm not going to discount that there's a large epidemic and, and we can go into speaking about how, how all that has transpired. But, but let's take uh, drinking and driving, for example. If there's been such a crackdown on drinking and driving across the, the nation, then why is there more? Hmm. How is it growing? How are substance abuse facilities growing when they're dumping all this money into preventative services and helping people? Shouldn't so, the problem drinking... So so let me break this down, exactly what you just said, because me being a nonprofit owner here in the area that I am, one, working on the opioid crisis, uh, returning citizens, um, recidivism, homelessness, things of that nature. 
this is where the crux of the issue is, and 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 we can wrap this up with solutions, right? I'm, and I'll I'll say what I say, and then I'll I'll uh, provide my solution, and then I'll let you finish us off with with your solution. But us little people see what what the communities, what the people don't understand is you hear these big organizations and their big names, and you. They hit you with all of this marketing and, and empathy and, and pull at your heartstrings and you just write checks to these people. And what these people do, they're just filtering systems and they trickle that money down to smaller nonprofits like me and other individuals like me that are in the community, boots on the ground, doing the work. And we have to be part of that circle of with the big organization in order to, to tap into that funding. But the funding is so small and minute. And, and by the time all the pockets get lined and it gets to us, there's, there's nothing really there, but we're still expected to get out and put in the blood, sweat, and tears. I think I saw you handing out a couple cans of tuna fish and ramen noodles the other day. Yeah, the, well, that, was, that, was a, that was a story in itself as well. But yes, yeah, I mean, this is what I do. I mean, this is I got. I got Narcan. I'm surrounded by Narcan here. I go out I, and I just, I try to do what I do each day. You know, I know I can only do so much and I, and, and, you know, uh, I reserve, of course, for myself, but um, I just try to do what I can each day, the little bit. But the crux is now that for, for an example, and I'm not going to put anybody in on blast, but I'm going to try to elaborate this the, the the best way I can because I'm still working with these individuals, and I and I get it, I understand, but this is the issue. So when we go in for a funding request, me and I'm tied with with four other organizations. So when we go in for this funding request, now mind you, this was the second meeting. We had a first meeting already, completely elaborating who we were, what we were doing. And they wanted further elaboration on that, hence the second meeting. They're, they wanted this to go in front of a second committee that could really get the details of what it was that we were doing. So we're entering this as with the mindset as we're, we're going to go through the minute scale of this organization, this, this operation, and, and give it to them of what we're doing. We get in here. Now, these are the top county officials that... When the money is sent from the state to each county, they get it. It goes right to their pockets. They hold on to it, and then they disperse it amongst the organizations that they want to disperse it amongst here in this area. So when we get up in front of these individuals, first and foremost, they come in, they sit down, and then they tell us, well, you have 15 minutes to present. There's no way we can present in 15 minutes. Right. This, again, is the first monkey wrench. Long story short, by the time we got through, they had no understanding of how nonprofits really even work. And there, in this particular area, there's, there's a, a, an, an organization of philanthropists who have came together, and um, this is the biggest foundation in Tampa. And they receive funds and donate funds, and then they disperse it to, you know, like what I was describing earlier. But this is the largest in, in, in this area. These officials didn't even know who they were, didn't even know how it worked. 
And that was so mind boggling to us because we keep calling, no, they keep saying they're going to give us the, no, the check doesn't come to us. That's what's so great about this. We're tied to, you know, this, this organization, the money's going to them. Everything is already, and it, they're, they couldn't, they didn't even know who the organization was. They've never even heard of this. And we're sitting here perplexed because you are the, the keepers of the money. How do you not even know about what's going on in the nonprofit world? I got into it with an individual. I don't want to say I got into it. It was, it was a, a tisk for task, but there was an individual, of course, worked for law enforcement who wanted to throw the fact that he was 25 years in, in the criminal justice and he had these degrees and all of these things. And, and I'm sorry, but I'm Thomas Freeman, no matter what room I'm in. And I had to stop him and I said, listen, I, I respect your education and I understand what you're saying, but I also have over 25 years in the criminal justice system. And I said, I may not have the degrees that you have, but all of those degrees are is is a training. You have somebody else's knowledge. Somebody else told you what this is. The difference between you and I is I have the experience. I was in it. I went through it. So there's a difference between experience and knowledge. And although I, I, I appreciate and respect your knowledge, I have the experience. And this is what we're trying to get these county officials to understand. Hence going into, well, segue going into uh, my solution. My solution for all of this, Frank, and for the listeners and, and everybody in America is do what I did. Do what so many of us are doing is create a nonprofit and start working your magic. Start getting your fingers into these public officials because you are a nonprofit. Start getting your, your fingers in there. Start prying your way in. Start gathering community around you. Get your community support because nonprofits should be in everything when it deals with the community. If, if I want nonprofits in the, in, in the judicial system, you know what I mean? Like we should have community leaders when anything deals with community, people coming back into the community, children being taken out of the community, anything of that nature, community leaders of that community should have a say in what's going on. Right. We, the people, the community should be in those rooms when when judicial decisions are being made for that county, when decisions on our education is being made, when the. There should be nonprofit, and, and maybe there is in some places. Maybe people are going to come out and say, well, we have nonprofits in this. Okay, but who are those nonprofits? Right? Who are those? Are you just paying these people? Because there are a lot of nonprofits out there who are just out there for funding, out there for money. I know because I'm in it right now, right? And, and when it comes funding time, you see a lot of faces saying a lot of things that you don't see out in the community. You know, these again are political people. They're public speakers. They come in with their big presentations and their big numbers. But going back to what I was just saying, you have these county officials. They don't know. They don't care. At the end of the day, they, all they care about is, is just doing their little job and, and their public announcements and going back home and drinking their wine and petting their dog or whatever it is that they do in their house. You know, again, here in Tampa Bay, the, the chief of police was living in a whole different county. 
got pulled over drunk on a golf cart and then tried to flash her badge in a different county to say who she was to get out of her situation. This is how duped we are. So my solution, America, you see what's going on. You're scared. You don't know what to do. You don't know who to turn to. You don't know who to trust. You trust your neighbor. Trust the people in your community because everybody's going through it in one sense or another. Create you a nonprofit. Start renting you a town hall once a week, once a month in your little community. Just start gathering people. If only two people show up, just keep doing it. People will come. People will come. So what's your solution, partner? There's a bunch. Um, and you hit a lot right there. And uh, I was thinking about saying one thing, which, which is important. But now I'm thinking about saying something else. And, you know, this, this solution, some of the solutions could be. Uh, it's interesting how legislation only operates the majority of the states for about a half a year. Um, and they're in, they're in session, uh, specifically in New York, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, business hours, nine to five. Then Thursdays and Fridays, they're supposedly back in their area. Well, many, many, many people work nine to five. So many people are not available to to either watch on TV or even go to the legislatures. So perhaps um, we can rearrange their work schedule to uh, work on Saturdays and Sundays uh, and possibly even even, uh, evening times so that more citizens, more people uh, can have an opportunity of transparency to see what's going on with what these people are doing with their time and and have possibly more input into what bills should be going or what bills should be repealed. Um, because it's very clear to me, I, I've been involved in, since 2019, um, seeing how the process works of how a bill becomes a law and, and the many revisions of it and, and the specialists and the attorneys that, that craft the language for these bills that put a lot of doublespeak in there and, and also a lot of nonsense that, that is not necessarily benefit or beneficial for, for the community, but it's, it's solely beneficial for programs, agencies, uh, and, and the like. So that one solution would be to readjust their work schedule. Um, I, li- I, li- I like giving solutions through stories, so I'm going to go through this one just real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I traveled the country during 2020 and 2021, supposedly when there was a lockdown, but we didn't have any problems. Um, I was given a crash course in emergency trauma uh, because of what is going on across the, across the nation here. Uh, I was also given a rucksack of hospital-grade medical supplies because some of the areas that we were in were, were true hot zones. Um, fast forward, we went out to St. Louis, Missouri for the National Convention of Family Law Judges to have conversations with judges. 
and, and we we did our same spiel during the day. We spoke, listened, talked at night, went into communities. As we're riding a horse down one one of the main streets in St. Louis, Missouri, it actually looked really close to uh, where where that individual was executed, point blank range, with a handgun just the other day. I, I think it was in that neighborhood, but I might be wrong. Um, a homeless man was was sitting down and asked for some money, and so we we. We jumped off the horses and went over and started talking. And he showed me his feet. And, and, and this man's feet were to the point where he couldn't walk. And I said, all right, dude. All right. I'll be back in five minutes. Jumped up on the horses. We galloped back to our trailer. I picked up the rucksack, came back. And... I started going through and, and talking to the guy and learning his story and, and how he got to where he got. And at the same time, there, there was a CBD gummy uh, in there. And I was like, look, man, I haven't taken one of these, but they're supposed to help out with anxiety and some pain. If you want to try it, you try it. If you don't, you don't. And then I said, oh, I got some moleskin. And I got some bandages. I got some iodine. Let's treat your feet, dude. And we're doing this. We're talking. And uh, he goes, you guys got anything like eat or drink? It's like, yeah, bro. So brought him back to the trailer, gave him some water and some food. And even though like none of us really had any money, gave him 20 bucks. And uh, we parted ways. Two days later, we're galloping through the, the streets of St. Louis, Missouri, and I hear, Frank, Frank. So we, so we stop with the horses. This guy comes running over to us. He's like, dude, remember me? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, yo, I got new shoes mm. with that money you got me. And he goes, did you see what I just did? I ran. He goes, I haven't been able to walk, let alone run, in months. I've gone to the clinics and the ER, and they don't help me. They don't do what you did. And I'm not a doctor. I'm fine. I... But you know what? It's common sense. It's care and concern for another human being. And there's a bunch of those stories. And and I don't, I don't do that. It's just me being me. It's just doing what you know that you can do in that moment. That's the thing is we don't think about it. You just, you see a problem. You say, you know what? I have the capabilities to handle this right now. That's all it is. You know, it's just then when we come, we start, it's the aftermath. That thought comes first. The purity comes first. It's the aftermath. Oh, well, I'm late for work or man, I'm going to get my hands dirty or man, I don't have, you know, this or, you know, we start. We talk ourselves out of it. So um, great story. Thank you, Frank, for sharing your time this morning. Thank you for the conversation. Yeah. Uh, how can, if anybody wanted to reach out to you, um, help you in any kind of way or, or just to converse with you, how can they reach you? Uh, let's see. Um, I got locked out of my Facebook account because uh, – 
I haven't had a telephone in, in months and the two-factor stuff. So so I got jammed up with Facebook there. Um, I, I guess uh, what TikTok well, with the, uh, the Veteran Liberty Network would probably be a good way. Even though that started off as a good note uh, on a nonprofit, uh, however, it ran into some complications, so it's not necessarily uh, manned all the time or, or working all the time. But you know, I I do I do check the messages over there every so often with with the Veteran Liberty Network there. Uh, otherwise, I you know you know if Thomas Thomas talk to Thomas here or if something you know is urgent, you know, and I know Thomas is getting busy, busy, busy. You know. I, you know, I'm, I won't divulge my phone number, my, my new phone number. No, but, but it's I know. Awesome. Do you have an email? Uh, I do. I do. It's um, uh, trying to think which one would be the be the best one. And either way, I, like like you just said, I mean, it, you know, I'm always accessible on social media. I'm always on social media on all my platforms. Like, you know, anybody was to reach out to me, hey, I'm trying to get a hold of Frank from your show, whatever, I can easily connect you. So that's always an option. Yeah, let's roll with that one first, and then you know I, we can always update the uh, the notes under underneath um, you know the interview with the contact. Absolutely. If anybody wants to help Frank out, um, you could do that through through me as well. Just go to www.cominghomecoalition.com, make a donation, uh, add in there, you know, for Frank Frank Hand. Um, VLN network. Um, so, yeah, just leave a note for Frank or for VLN, v uh, Veterans Liberty Network. Um, cash app. My cash app is uh, Free Me Podcast. Free Me Podcast. Um, so, just leave those notes. We'll get it over to him. Um, other than that, man, we keep in contact. We we uh, we we stay within in the realm. So. I'll probably have Frank back on the show. But until then, the moral of the story, man, just be your best self. Just do what you can. Understand that these are spiritual times, spiritual times. And if you understand the difference between good and bad, then you're making a cognitive choice. And, and just we need good people, especially here in, in America. So be your best self. Get out. Help people. Um, just do what you can. Don't do more than what you what you can. Just do what you can and know that you you've done your best. So until the next time, you guys take care, stay blessed, and we are out. Thank you very much. Thank you.